on it. And, and, uh, right. Let me introduce you, Jacob Morrison. If you know anything about Redeemer, um, Redeemer has been part of several church plants that's starting new churches. In fact, this entire presbytery was started because there were a couple, two or three churches that planted so many churches it needed to be its own presbytery. But one of the parts of our city that's been, of our area that's been hard to do is High Point. This is why Jacob is here, <laughs> to solve that problem for all of us and Jesus and stuff. No, kidding, just kidding. Jacob's been called um, by our presbytery to plant a church in High Point. It's called Emmanuel High Point. We are super excited. It's a, it's a, many times Redeemer's kind of planted a church on its own, but a few years ago we decided that when we do a church plant or when the presbytery does a church plant, we're going to make sure we all do it together. And so this is evidence of that hard work in our presbytery, and we're thankful to have you here, originally from Austin or outside of Austin. Outside. Uh, outside yeah. of Austin. Yeah, yeah. Outside of Austin. And so he's going to bring the word to bear to us. I do want to tell you this. On Tuesday, um, uh, our uh, session approved the initial $5,000 check for support for these guys, and we're really excited about being there. So if you're in or around High Point and you want to help plant a church, talk to him about that. Um, or if you just want to visit, or if you just want to visit anyway and be an encouragement uh, uh, along the way, uh, please do. Please uh, talk to this guy afterwards. So welcome, brother. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, greetings from High Point. It's, uh, it is great to be here with you all in worship. Uh, let's go ahead and look at God's Word. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Acts chapter 2. Giorgio said, we're going to start talking about worship. And I thought, all right, spirit and truth. And he's like, we're already doing that one. So... Uh, Okay, I got to figure this out. So we're going to do Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. What I'm about to read to you is God's word. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And thus far in God's perfect holy, true word. Let's pray and ask that he might bless the reading, the hearing, and now the teaching of it. So would you pray with me? Uh, Heavenly Father, we come before you again so thankful that you're at work in us, that your spirit uh, transforms us, and we ask now you send your spirit again afresh and anew to unclog our our ears, to open our eyes, soften our hearts, that your truth uh, would change us and transform us. So come Holy Spirit, we pray through Jesus in his name. So I am new to North Carolina. After Austin, I made my way around and eventually was in South Carolina for about 12 years. And so I'm new here, and I understand there is a rivalry between Duke and North Carolina. (laughs) Something about that. Uh, But that kind of rivalry, uh, where I'm from, is between Texas A&M and Texas. Now, I'm an Aggie, and so last week, if you were in App State, yeah, it was rough. Um, It was rough. But I have to hand it to, to Texas. They have this really catchy slogan. Whether it's true or not, it's one thing. But they have it. It's catchy. It says, what starts here changes the world. Ooh. Uh, 
you know, come to our school, you can become something world-changing. Now, in our text in the book of Acts this morning, we see something a little more than world-changing, than just this Texas Longhorn trying to change uh, one thing. What we see here is the Holy Spirit transforming and reshaping, reframing worship. And what starts with transformed worship leads to a transformed community. And so what we're going to do is see how that happened. First by looking at the practice, then the power, and finally the result. That's where we're going this morning. That's our roadmap. Practice, power, result. First, the practice. Now, as you're looking there, uh, the first couple of verses, let's get a bit of context since we're kind of jumping in this morning. Here's the setting. Jesus has ascended at the beginning of the book of Acts. He's risen and he's ascended. But he tells his disciples this in chapter 1, verse 8. He says, uh, I'm not going to leave you alone. What does he tell them? You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And that power of the Spirit rushed upon them on the day we call Pentecost where all these people from different places uh, come into Jerusalem, and then they heard these men speaking in their own languages. It's this amazing outpouring of Holy Spirit, and yet some people, do you remember what some people who looked at it said? They're drunk. They're drunk. And so Peter steps up and he delivers an amazing sermon explaining who Jesus is, what he did, and what is the end result? Look at verse 41. 3,000 souls were added that day. 3,000 believers. Now, Georgia said, I'm I'm from outside of Austin. That's about the size of my hometown in Austin growing up. 3,000 people, overwhelmed, transformed by the Spirit. And so the question then is, what does the early church do? What does being filled with the Holy Spirit look like? Well, that's where we come to verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. First thing, notice, they devoted themselves. You know, we know what it means to be devoted to a cause, don't we? Devoted to a job, devoted to a task. That's exactly what we see here. This word devoted, it has this idea of of persisting, of persevering through something. They persisted, they persevered in their new faith by the Spirit. How? practice, with these practices of the teaching, the fellowship, the the breaking of bread and the prayers. Notice that the word the is used each time here in verse 42. It's the same thing in the Greek. There's a definite article. Isn't that fun? Definite article? Well, the is there. And that's important because it tells us that these are specific things that the believers did. There were specific actions taking place. The first is the teachings of the apostles. That is What should we know about Jesus? What is the gospel? What does it mean to follow him? We can picture the apostles teaching these 3,000 people, these converts, about the lessons that they themselves experienced with Jesus at his feet. They can tell them the parables. They can speak Jesus' very words of hope and salvation to this crowd of 3,000. It's like a giant Bible study at the temple. And as you think about that, isn't it interesting that a people who were so filled with the Holy Spirit found it vital 
to then sit at the feet of Jesus' disciples and apostles and learn more about the Savior. That having the Holy Spirit rush upon them wasn't enough. They needed more. They needed a place to go with their questions, their difficulties with the gospel message. They needed a place to go with their doubts and their fears. They needed it so much so that they devoted themselves to seeking it out together. The late John Stott says it like this, the Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word of God. And when you think about that, it makes sense. You've got men who will now go, go home and they have to answer this question. Whoa, 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 why did you decide to follow Jesus? Didn't we hate him? Don't you know that those Christ followers, that's a cult? They studied because they wanted to know more. They have to have a reason for their faith. The Spirit calls them to this, and the same thing is true for you and me this morning, isn't it? Don't we still face the need to sit and learn at the feet of the apostles? We need to learn more and more from God's Word because we're faced with the same questions. You believe in what? You believe in the Bible? Don't you know what the Bible says? It says closed-minded and judgmental. Why would you believe in something like that? It's so old. We need to sit together and hear the teachings. And I say together because the next phrase is the fellowship. That's a very strong word to use. It's the same word used in the Bible to describe the fellowship between God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So not only do these new believers have a union, a deep fellowship with Christ through their faith, but now they are themselves described as being connected with such a strong word. And they practiced an intentional interaction with one another in their worship. Then we see the breaking of bread and the prayers. We see elements of corporate worship here in the celebrating, uh, participating together in the Lord's Supper and engaging in these set times of prayer at temple. And these are not just like spontaneous prayers. These are like detailed, structured, liturgical prayers. So we have these four practices. The early church being filled with the Holy Spirit sought out. And we have to think, well, what do we do with that, Right? The first thing we can realize is that we are called to be devoted to worshiping God together. And that looks like what? Pursuing truth from his word. Meeting regularly to remind ourselves of the gospel and that it is for sinners like us. It looks like celebrating the Lord's Supper regularly together because there is something powerful in partaking in it together as we remind ourselves Christ died, he rose, and he will come again soon and he's given us a spirit. It looks like setting regular times aside to pray for one another as a body. We're called to worship together. But we also need to understand this, that that devotion, it's costly, isn't it? Think about it. Devotion to the gospel is countercultural. After all, we are called to lay down our lives, to love our enemies, to put to death the idols that we face daily. We are called to forgive. We are called to repent. Do you really want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> nope. I'll pay that kid later. Uh, <laughs> devotion is costly in time. Man, I, I feel this. 
it takes time to devote ourselves to worship together, to those practices. It will take even more time to devote ourselves to the fellowship. And that's really frustrating, isn't it? Because I never have enough time. You got kids, I have three kids. I've got a three-month-old, so I'm tired and I have no time. But I, I've got to get kids to gymnastics and to swimming. I've got meetings in Lexington and Greensboro. We've got to schedule it. We have to have a date night sometime. And, oh, yeah, we have to keep all three of these kids alive and bathed and fed. So who has time for all of this devotion? I want you to consider that. And, and, and then just consider this. These early Christians... It's not like they didn't have jobs. They had jobs, they had responsibilities, and they lived in a time where the conveniences that we have did not exist. There was no Instapot, there was no DoorDash for getting dinner. Everything took more time, and yet, they devoted themselves to the practice. Why? Because it was worth it. Do you believe it's worth it? Finally, it's costly because it means transformation. Transformation means we're going to be changed. You're going to be changed. I'm going to be changed day after day. And I don't like to change. But the gospel calls us to change, more and more to be changed. And notice that they did this together. Again, they did it together. There was an importance of together, so much so that it was part of their practice. They fellowship, the fellowship, they broke bread, they recited prayers, they learned the apostles' teaching together. Now, the practices of the Christian life, you think about that, that's challenging, right? And it leads me to ask the question, how in the world do I find the drive and the energy and the desire to do all of those things? Where do you find it? Where do I find it? Where did they find it? Well, let's consider the power, the power for the practice. If we look at verses 43 and 44, Luke writes, and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done, being done through the apostles and all who believed were together. All right, so think about this. The 3,000 believers, they're going through the practices of worship and what are they experiencing? What's the word it's used? Awe. Not like awe. Isn't that cute? But awe. Awe-inspiring. The word in the Bible that is commonly associated with awe is reverential fear. This jaw-dropping, gobsmacked feeling. Just being bowled over. That awe. That fear. Where does it come from exactly? If you have a Bible, go ahead and look earlier in Acts chapter 2. Remember, they accused the disciples, after hearing them speaking in tongues, of, you're drunk. And then Peter gets up and he brings the sermon, and look what he says. Look at verses 22 through 24. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible, possible for him to be held by it. So they hear Peter talk about Jesus, who they killed. And look at what it says. Now, when they heard this, what was their reaction? They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? 
And Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of Holy Spirit. Do you see why they're filled with awe? Because they believed. And as one pastor put it, they, were, they believed, they were filled with the Spirit and awe, and their minds were blown. Just consider this, okay? Was this their first time ever going to temple? No. Been doing it their whole lives. Do you think this was the first time they would go to the temple and say prayers together? No. Do you think they had never had an opportunity to go to the temple and celebrate a ceremony with bread and wine and a lamb? They've been doing those things their whole lives. And then they believed. And the Spirit transformed their understanding of those practices. And now they go to the temple and they're praying these psalms and they're going, wait, this is about Jesus. The one we killed. This is him? All of these things are about him? As they celebrate Passover, we're going to break bread now, but we no longer feast on lamb because he was the lamb? And we partake together the body and blood of him? Do Do you see that the Spirit is opening their eyes to see and their ears to hear and receive the gospel of Jesus? And it reframes their whole understanding of what worship and practice were all about. It brings about new life and new hope as they realize that what has been done in Jesus. It cuts them to the heart. It drives them to repentance to turn to the Lord that they killed and believe that those promises of God are for them because of Him. And it blows their minds. They believed. And once that happened, what was once going through the motions of I gotta go to the temple, gotta break the bread, gotta say the prayers, what, <laughs> what once was that became real and became life-giving. So the question is, do you believe? Are you just going through the motions? If you believe, know this, that the power of the gospel reframes what you are doing, even right now, and why you are doing it. Things that you are doing become clear. Why do we confess? Why do we call, have a call to worship? comes clear. One of the pastors back in Greenville said it like this, when you believe in Jesus, the power is this, that the one who cuts them to the heart and the one who gave them redemption is now the one who reinterprets all they were doing. So why are you here? You're here because of Jesus. Why do you have hope? Because of what Jesus has done. You see, their practice has changed because of the power of the Spirit, the power of the Gospel, the power of the person of Jesus. And that practice of retelling the story of the Gospel, of partaking and remembering Him, it transforms not only their worship, but it's going to transform their fellowship as well. Let's see that, the result. Let's close by turning there our attention to the result of the Spirit transforming and reframing worship. See that in our final verses. So what happens when the Spirit reframes your understanding of Jesus in the Gospel? What happens when you're transformed by the power of Holy Spirit and you start devoting yourself, that is, believing 
and actively pursuing worshiping God, the practice and the formality and the institutionalness creates a community, much like you see here this morning. And what does that community look like? Look at verses 44 and 45. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So I think we read this statement and sometimes we get a little, you know, we get a little step back, a little knee jerk. We don't like this. Uh, Luke's not making a political statement here. He's not endorsing anything. Uh, there were already communities that had endorsements of, of, hey, this is how Judaism should be lived. There was one three miles to the east in the Qumran community. Uh, so Luke is not making a political statement about property here, okay? What we see here is this. Just as the Spirit reframes the practice of going to temple, just as it re- reframes the idea of worship for these believers, it also reframes what it means to live in community. Think about it. The Jewish people lived as a people dependent on one another. They weren't really liked by the Jews, uh, by, the, by the Romans and the Greeks, right? They even had laws that focused on caring for the poor and marginalized already. But now, because of being reshaped and reframed, that whole concept is taken to a deeper level. How? Look at that phrase, they had all things in common. It's a phrase Paul will use all through his letters to talk about the mutual care and encouragement believers are to give one another as they participate as a body of Christ. It's a phrase he's going to use to ask churches to fund his church plants throughout the Gentile territory. So what we have here in verse 44 is this idea of a reframed fellowship of generosity that meets the needs of the people of God. How? Verse 45. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Isn't that remarkable? I know sometimes down here in the South, I'm from Texas, so I'm not the South. It's, it's a whole, it's better. Uh, <laughs> but people are like, oh, I got my old family home place. Uh, you know, they had those in, the, in Israel too, right? Even older than ours. So it's remarkable when you consider one of the most precious things they could sell and they would sell during this time is their land and give it to the people so there was no need among them. They'd be willing to sell for the care of another. They were transformed in their generosity. How do you get to be that generous? I don't know. Uh, no, I have, I have this desire to keep what I've worked for. Don't you? It's the sense of, I, well, I earned this, I did it all, and no one's entitled to it. You ever feel that way? Imagine if that's how God looked at us with his son. Whoa, 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 whoa. he earned it, not you. What are you doing? Get out of here. You don't get any of his righteousness. But that's not the message of the gospel, isn't it? He doesn't give you a bit of his son's grace and mercy and righteousness. No, he gives you all of himself so that you receive, you are received fully as a son of God. Imagine hearing that and realizing that at this time of Pentecost, that this Jesus that you killed is giving you salvation, that he is forgiving you of your sins, all of them, even the one of, you know, crucifying him. If that doesn't overwhelm you, I don't know what would. 
And the same truth is just as true today for you and me as it was for those who believe in him. The blood of his son covers you and me fully and freely by Jesus. Does that overwhelm you? Does that transform you? If he did not withhold his son from us, how can we withhold from finding ways to love and assist our brothers and sisters in Christ? How? How else does the Spirit transform the community to live? Well, let's look at the final two verses of chapter 2. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see these believers attending temple, and they're breaking bread again. And it might seem like we're just repeating ourselves, right? But we're not. Do you remember the very important definite article we saw in verse 42? The the. The teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, the prayers. What's missing here in these final two verses? The the. Luke is now describing the life of the community. That they went to temple and then what would happen? Their fellowship would extend beyond the formal. Beyond the institutional. You might even call it an organic fellowship. That they worshipped and they would have fellowship together in the temples and they would go beyond a narthex coffee talk and actually go to each other's houses for a meal. Look what it says. Is they would, with glad and generous hearts, they would eat around their dinner table together. Y'all, do you want some clear application? How about this? Fellowship must extend beyond the walls. It has to extend beyond the coffee and the narthex. It has to extend into the home over a meal. We also see this in regard to the community. It doesn't say they found people in similar stages of life and then they went out to eat together. No, no, no. What we see here is we can't handpick the community we think we need or want. In the book, uh, Enduring Community, the author has asked this incredible question, and it cuts me to the heart. Are you trying to create a designer community, a hand-picked community that is interesting enough or compelling enough for you to abide it? The reason it's so hard is because that, that's the question. When I answer it, you know, the answer there only takes me so far. The truth is that when you join a local church, You'll never get the community you want, but in his love, God will give you the community that you need. Do you believe that? So much so that you will abide by it? Final point here. The joy, joy is evident and experienced by more than just the covenant community uh, here in verse 47. Look there. It says that they had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that interesting? That these new believers had something so intriguing that it drew favor from even Jewish and Roman citizens. The joy shows a vibrant community that loves God as they grow in their practice. And they love their neighbor as they fellowship around the dinner table. And what happens? The Lord grows the church day after day. Why? It's not because of the preaching. It's not because they did the music. No, it's because God is at work and the Spirit is alive, cutting people to their hearts. 
Y'all, what started on that day in Jerusalem really did change the world. But the Spirit isn't done. Do you believe that God is at work right here, right now? That he can transform the worship of this place and grow his kingdom even more right here? That what might, that what might start here this day at this church might transform Winston-Salem and the triad? Let's pray to that end. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your, your goodness to us that you don't withhold your grace and your love and your mercy to us. You don't withhold your son's righteousness, but you let him come as he comes and he dies and he he rises again to defeat sin and death so that we might have new life and hope and redemption. Lord, forgive us for the ways we just put obstacles in the way. We try to complicate fellowship. We try to complicate worship and we grow stale. We grow distant. Lord, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you reframe are worshipped by sending your spirit afresh and anew upon us so that when we worship, we worship you like never before. As we join together in fellowship, we fellowship like never before so that even the outside world that looks at us says there is something about them. and That we're, they draw near and hear the gospel and the Lord would add to them, to the church day after day. Lord, help us, give us strength, but more importantly, give us your spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it's y'all's custom to have the Lord's Supper after, uh, after the preaching of the Word, and so it's, it's time now to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And we get to participate in this together. Just as uh, those in Jerusalem were able to participate 2,000 years ago in the, in the breaking of the bread, Oh, so do we. Isn't that incredible? So we do this because we really believe the Holy Spirit is at work in these elements, that the Holy Spirit is at work calling our hearts to be cut to the heart as we see our sin and, and say, what, what do we do? The table helps by the Spirit of God. It, it calls us to repent and to forgive and to confess It reminds us of the promises of the gospel are true, that just as we eat and drink, Jesus Christ really did die and rise again for our sins. And so we come to this table with joy and with gladness and with hope and full assurance of the promises that Jesus' blood has covered all of our sin. And because of that, we can have fellowship with him and with one another in amazing new ways. We can be transformed in that. And so if you are a Christian here this morning, this table is for you because, it's, it, because you proclaim that truth, that you are in need of the forgiveness and the salvation found only in the blood of Jesus. Uh, and this is not something we made up. It's not something Giorgio made up. He's not that clever. It's something the Lord Jesus instituted to us. I'm going to read to you from... 1 Corinthians 11. There we go. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this 
as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray and ask that the Lord might bless our participation together in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Lord, we pray now that you would indeed set aside these simple elements of bread and cup, and that in this you would use it to reignite our hearts, to reframe our mind and our, our souls to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, would you use this, uh, this time to convict our hearts to, to confess and to repent and to forgive and to fellowship with you and with one another. Lord, use this meal, these simple means, through a simple person. Lord, would you use it for your glory and for your kingdom's sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.